All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Romans. In this session, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 9.30. In fact, the chapter break here between chapters 9 and 10 is really in an unfortunate spot because the last few verses of chapter 9 really go with the first few verses of chapter 10 as one thought unit and one paragraph, and so they should have been kept together. So that's just an unfortunate reality over history when they started putting chapter breaks in. Someone didn't necessarily respect the flow of the argument. So we're going to pick up here in Romans chapter 9, verse 30, and then work our way down through chapter 10. And let's make sure we keep the context in mind and understand how this whole argument is working. The thesis for chapters 9, 10, and 11 is really found in 9, 6, where Paul says, But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they're not all Israel who are descended from Israel. And the rest of chapter 9, from 9-7 through 9-29, is the first major part in making that point. Has God's word to Israel failed? No. And so Paul, in chapter 9-7 through 29, retells the story of Israel to help us see that actually what, what we see happening in Paul's day with only a remnant of Jews combined with Gentiles now in the Messiah— that's where the story of Israel always pointed. That's what the story of Israel always said. So, indeed, the word of God hasn't failed. Rather, the word of God is being fulfilled in a remnant of Israelites coming in. And Paul will come back to that remnant idea full force in chapter 11. But here in the first major chunk of the argument, 9, 7 through 29, He's simply making the point that God hasn't been unfaithful to Israel by any stretch of the imagination, that not everyone who has Abraham's blood flowing through their veins, Abraham's DNA in their system, is really a true Israelite, that it was always going to be a remnant, and God was always actually narrowing down through whom the line of promise would be carried forward. Well, at the t by the time we arrive at chapter 9, verse 30, we arrive at what might be called sort of a double strangeness, a double strangeness. And here's what that strangeness is. On the one hand, the Gentiles have attained God's righteousness, even though they hadn't sought for it. And on the other hand, Israel, who had sought for it, somehow missed it. That's the double strangeness. And Paul says, it's strange, but it's in keeping with the story of Israel. Somehow this happened where Gentiles who were on the outside weren't really even interested in God's things. Boom, they, they saw Jesus the Messiah. They came on in. Israelites who had been supposedly seeking God's righteousness somehow missed it. And so the natural question is, why? Why? And it's that question to which Paul now turns in 930 through chapter 10. Why is it that Israel missed it and the Gentiles didn't? And as Paul unfolds this answer for us, what we learn is God rejecting Israel isn't arbitrary. It's not as if God did this willy-nilly. It's not as if God just was like, oh, I just only want some Jews, and I'll throw in a few Gentiles, and let's just mix it all up, as if it was just sort of this capricious, whimsical sort of arbitrary thing that God did. No, it's not arbitrary, and that's what we learn from this section here. And so let's jump in, and let's see how Paul explains where Israel took a wrong turn. Chapter 9, verse 30, raises the question, What shall we say then? The Gentiles, who didn't pursue righteousness, attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel, 
pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. And so Paul raises the issue, the topic that's going to consume him for the next several paragraphs here in the last few verses of chapter 9. Frank Thielman, in some of his comments on this passage, points out helpfully that what appears to be lying behind Paul's words here is the imagery of a racetrack. That becomes pretty clear in chapter 10. And so you have this pursuing, this running imagery that seems to lie behind what Paul is getting at. And the way the imagery works is this. Uh, Here is Israel running this race, seemingly pursuing God's righteousness, and yet when they come to the finish line, they just keep running their own race. They keep doing their own thing, and that's what really has got them into trouble. And so they reach the finish line. Paul will call that the telos in chapter 10, verse 4, the end point, and yet they just kept on running the race. They're like, oh, no, 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 we like this race. We're just going to keep doing it our way. Now, the criticism Paul makes about Israel here at the end of chapter 9 is this, that Israel missed the righteousness of God because they were pursuing a law of righteousness. Presumably, what he means by that is they were pursuing the law, they were pursuing righteousness through the law. And Paul has already explained in the theology, in fact, all the theology of chapters 1 through 8 is just terribly important in what Paul is going to say in this chapter. Because Paul has already explained at the end of chapter 3 that the righteousness of God is now experienced apart from the law. Why? Well, because Israel failed to keep it. They had violated the covenant, and thus they were under the curse. And so to keep trying to achieve it by the law was a failed project for them. And yet that's exactly what they did. Um, And so he says in verse 31, Israel pursuing a law of righteousness, or better, pursuing righteousness through the law, didn't arrive at what that law was pointing at, right? Like, Paul believes the law had a very specific purpose. You can read about it in Galatians chapter 3. And that purpose was short-term, and that purpose was to lead people to Messiah. And so here are the Jews running the race, trying to keep the law. When Messiah came, they just kept running the race and they missed it. And so they did not arrive at that law. They did not arrive at what the law was actually supposed to be leading them to. And why was that? Well, he says in verse 32, because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, meaning specifically works of the law. They thought somehow uh, by just keeping the law, they could arrive there themselves rather than by faith. Again, you put that in the context of all of Paul's theology, particularly Galatians 3, and you hear what he's getting at. There was going to come a day when it was going to be faith in the Messiah and not Torah that was going to form God's people. And they just missed that. And so he says here, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This seems to be sort of a squishing together of two passages from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, and Isaiah 28, verse 16. Paul has kind of mushed those together into one little statement from Isaiah that that said, this is what Israel has done, is doing, will continue to do. They're going to stumble over the stumbling stone. 
Isaiah 8 is one of those passages that refers to Emmanuel that has an initial fulfillment in Isaiah's day, but has an ultimate fulfillment when the true, final, real Emmanuel comes in the person of Jesus. And so we see that fulfilled in Jesus. And they stumbled over that, that he came to, to bring them salvation, and somehow they missed it and they stumbled over that. And so so why did the Gentiles arrive at God's righteousness and the Jews miss it? Well, because of their response ultimately to the preaching of the gospel. The Jews didn't believe it. They didn't buy that Jesus was Messiah and they stumbled over him. The Gentiles, on the other hand, they did believe it and they responded in faith. And thus they received and experienced the righteousness of God. And so as we turn the, the page into chapter 10, Paul once again expresses his really his angst and his concern for his Jewish kinsmen, as he did at the beginning of chapter 9, here at the beginning of chapter 10, he, he restates that. Here he actually makes the problem clear. We noted at the beginning of chapter 9, he expresses his heart's desire for them. He expresses his concern for them, but he never really says the problem. We're left to infer it. Here he makes the problem explicit. At the beginning of chapter 10, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, them being his Jewish kinsmen, the Jews who have stumbled over the stumbling stone, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And that's the problem. They're on the outside of salvation looking in. They missed it because they thought somehow they could they could achieve the righteousness of God by doing the law. And yet they, their history should have told them it didn't work. It didn't work that way. And so Paul's like, ah, oh, my heart breaks for them. I'm praying for them because of their salvation. For I testify about them, he says in 10.2, that they have a zeal for God. They have a genuine uh, zeal for God, but their zeal is not in accordance with knowledge. That's important. That's important. There's a lot of implications to that, right? Like, think about that. Someone could have a zeal for God and just, it could be misdirected, misguided, ignorant zeal. Well, that's what Paul is saying about his Jewish kinsmen. They have a genuine zeal for God, but it's ignorant. It's not in accordance with knowledge. What does he mean by not in accordance with knowledge? Well, he explains in verse three, he says, for, explanatory for, for they don't know about God's righteousness, for not knowing about God's righteousness. That's just a phrase that captures everything Paul said in the theology of chapters 1 through 8, particularly in 321 through 26, and then carrying on as he details the implications of it. They don't know how God achieved his righteousness. They, they don't realize what God did in Jesus the Messiah. They're, they're, they're ignoring that. They stumbled over that. They're ignorant of that. So they, they don't know about God's righteousness as achieved through Jesus the Messiah and seeking to establish their own. So rather than receiving God's righteousness in Christ by faith, they're trying to establish their own righteousness by doing the Torah, by keeping the law. And so they didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Like, even when they heard it, even when they heard the message about the Messiah, they rejected it rather than uh, subject themselves to God's very own righteousness, to the very saving justice of God. And what does he mean by that? Well, he says in verse 4, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so the law has arrived at its end. And that word end is really important. In fact, scholars have kind of wrestled with what's the exact nuance of end. Uh, the word in Greek is telos, telos, which can have the idea of goal and can have the idea of finish, right? And 
I actually think we don't need to make a hard distinction between those two here in this context. Probably the best I, uh, like modern equivalent for what Paul is getting at here is culmination. Christ is the culmination of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Like the law has reached its culmination and thus its end point uh, in Messiah, in Jesus. The law has done its job. The law has completed its course. The law has finished its task for righteousness. It's no longer where righteousness is found. Paul argues this in detail in Galatians chapter 3, and so you, you might want to read through that chapter so you can hear a more thoroughgoing explanation of the same point there as he kind of unfolds it chunk by chunk through their history. But there and here, his point is that the law was working up to the moment when Messiah should come, and when Messiah finally came, the law had done its job. The analogy I like to use is that of pregnancy and childbirth. Does childbirth end pregnancy? Yes. But does it abolish it or negate it, nullify it? No. Childbirth doesn't nullify pregnancy. It fulfills it and culminates it, even though it ends it. Like childbirth brings the pregnancy to its proper resolution point, to its proper goal, and thus brings it to its end. Well, that's the same thing that the Messiah did for the Old Testament law. It brought the story of Israel. It brought the purpose of the Old Testament law to its appropriate end point, its culmination in the Messiah. And so no longer is the law the means of righteousness. And so the law has fulfilled its purpose. Its time is done. Christ is now the location of and the means of righteousness, and the way you experience that is by faith. And Paul explained that in great and glorious detail in the end of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4 of Romans. And so in Romans 10.5, Paul then turns to a detailed interaction with a specific portion of the Old Testament law to help the Jews see that this is actually what the law said was going to happen, and it is happening in Paul's day through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus as the Messiah. So it's to that we turn in our next session.